Today's passage will be through Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 to 40. So that is Matthew chapter 22 to 34 to 46. Sorry. Uh, But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Now while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question, saying, What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? They said to him, The son of David. He said to them, How is it then that David in spirit calls him Lord, saying, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how is he his son? And no one was able to answer him a word, nor from that day did anyone dare to ask him any more questions. It's the word of God. Thank you, Heidi. Um, And I'll just now invite up Pastor David to give the sermon today. Good good morning, guys. Just double-checking every time. Um, it's lovely to see your faces. I'm always happy every Sunday to see you guys. Um, please join me as we pray before we uh, get into the Word. Lord, we uh, thank you, uh, as always, for your Word. Thank you that you've spoken to us uh, clearly through your Word. Thank you that your word isn't just a book, not just information, but uh, it's a real way in which we can meet you and encounter you uh, and have a relationship with you. Uh, so I just ask that for those of us here today who don't know you, who've maybe never known you, I pray that through your word, um, they might come to know you, perhaps for the first time ever. And for those of us uh, who do, um, we just ask for your help still uh, to be awakened again because life is busy life is distracting Um, we long to hear from you so speak to us and move in us by the power of your holy spirit and may we all encounter you today in this house in jesus name we pray amen okay so um who here likes to write essays that's what i thought (laughs) if any one of you had raised your hands i would have you're weird. Uh, Not many of us like to write essays. Um, I definitely don't. Writing an essay is really hard because, first of all, it's a lot of words to put down on a piece of paper. Um, And second of all, there's a lot of reading, there's a lot of research uh, to gather and digest information. And then you have to take all of that and turn it into something that actually makes sense, uh, something that's coherent. And I don't know about you, but by the end of essay writing or writing an essay, I feel like I've conquered like a mammoth task. I feel like I deserve like ice cream or something. Like it's just such a big deal. 
And that's why my least favorite part of the essay writing process, and I've written, I've had to write quite a few essays in my time, is something called the abstract. And if you don't know what that is, basically the ab abstract is a small paragraph on the cover page of your essay, and it basically says, this is what my essay is about. It's the very first impression that a reader will have of your essay, but it's actually the last thing that you write uh, after you've made all of your conclusions. And I would hate writing this thing. I would hate writing the abstract because I've just spent dozens of hours putting this thing together, a mishmash of ideas, right? Four or 5,000 words. And now you're asking me to put all of that into one paragraph. It's so hard. I can't do it. I would sit there for like an hour just trying to write an abstract. I would hate it. It's so hard to put all of those ideas, like 5,000 words, into one like tiny little paragraph. And it's hard enough to write an abstract for an essay. right? But let me ask you guys this. Can you write an abstract for the Bible? Right, can you write an abstract for the Bible? If a friend or a colleague or maybe a family member uh, came up to you and they were like, hey, you know, what's this book all about? What's Christianity all about? How would you answer that? I think a common answer that many people would jump to, uh, including you know, some of us, is, well, you know, this book, the Bible, it's primarily about how God expects us to live. Uh, it's like a manual on how to live uh, towards Him and towards others. Uh, maybe um, you've heard from you know, non-believing friends as well, this kind of thing. Yeah, I, I already know what that book's about. It's, 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 it's a book about morality. Uh, it's a book about right and wrong. It's a book about, you know, what you should do and what you shouldn't do. And this is what's traditionally uh, been called the law, right? The law. And it's exactly what it sounds like. It's regulations. It's rules. It's, it's how God expects us to live in his world. But if you were to tell someone, you know, the same person who came up to you was asking, well, what's this all about? And you, if you were to say to them, uh, well, this book, it's all about the law. Uh, it's all about how God expects you to live. Um, how do you think that conversation would go down? Uh, I don't think it would go down very well. I, I don't think they'd be very interested. Uh, chances are it, it won't be received very well. And that's very fair. Because if this book was just about the law, then I don't think it would be very attractive to anyone. But that's not actually the main message of the Bible. Uh, the main message of the Bible is actually the gospel. And you've heard it before at our church. The gospel, it's a radically different kind of message to the law. And the main difference uh, between the two can be said like this. It's going to be up on the screen. I'm going to use some slides today. Uh, so the law is something that we do. Right? The law is something that we do, but the gospel is something that God has done for us on our behalf. Right? The law is something that we do. The gospel is something that God has done for us on our behalf. So here's the abstract for the Bible, uh, and we can build on this, and that's what we're going to do today. The abstract is, the Bible is the law and the gospel. Right? The law and the gospel. And in our text today that we just read, we're going to see this dynamic of the law and the gospel. In Jesus' words, he's asked by a lawyer, 
and, and this person is not like a lawyer in the sense that you might think of today. He's an expert in the, uh, in the, in the Jewish law. Right? He's a scholar. He knows God's law back to front. And he asks Jesus, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus answers this question really powerfully. We're going to look at that today. But then he turns around and he, he asks him a question. He says, now I'm going to ask you a question. Verse 41. Now what do you think about the Christ? They ask him a question about the law. He asks them a question about the gospel, the Christ. And understanding the difference between these two in the message of the Bible, it's, it's really crucial for our spiritual health. It's really crucial for our spiritual maturity. It's essential for us as a church community. And it's crucial for us uh, in our witness to those around us who legitimately ask, hey, what's all of this about? So this morning, we're going to look at two questions. We're going to ask two questions of the text. The first one is, what does the law do? And that should also be a slide, I think. What does the law do? So how does the law function right, in our lives, just on a real practical level? Uh, and in light, of the, in, in light of what the law does, uh, what then is the gospel? That's what we're going to look at. And like I said, the gospel, that's a term we throw around a lot at church. Um, it's almost become like a jargon word. Um, uh, it can lose a lot of meaning. So we're going to talk specifically about what the gospel is. Uh, but first of all, what does the law actually do? And maybe you think you already know what it does, but uh, let's lay it out. In particular, the law does these two things. The law shows us who God is, and the law shows us who we are. Right? It shows us who God is, and it shows us who we are. So the law shows us who God is, um, and I know for some of you, maybe for many of you, the law isn't a word that inspires you, not, not, not in the sense of a career, but it just doesn't sound very good. It sounds quite religious and strict. You know, it's about losing your freedom. It's about rules. But this is a really amazing statement from Jesus uh, in verse 36. So the Lord comes up to him and he asks him, Teacher, what is the greatest or which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus says to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, now, most of you have heard this before. It's a really famous saying of, of Jesus. And uh, he's what he's doing here is he, quoting uh, two commandments from the Old Testament. Right, from the first five books of the Old Testament, right, specifically in uh, Deuteronomy 6 and Leviticus 19. Uh, and it, it's also become, by this point, um, what uh, Jewish people call the Shema. It's so Shema literally in Hebrew means hear, right, oh hear, Israel. So the Shema is just something that they would recite to themselves every morning when they would wake up. And this is what they would say to themselves. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. So this is what Jesus is quoting, and what does he grab onto here? Well, in a key word, it's love. He grabs onto love. And so here's the first thing that I would like to say to you guys. Uh, if you want to know what the Bible is all about, it's about love. It's about loving God and loving one another. And then Jesus follows it with this uh, amazing statement in verse 40. 
on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. And he's saying the whole Bible that they had at the time, which consisted of the law and these books called the prophets, right? Um, the whole Bible as they knew it was primarily about love. And if that's the case, if the Bible is about love, then it, re it reveals something about the author, about God, about what he's like. Now that God is not just an authoritative judge who lays down rules and regulations, but that he is a God of love. Now in C.S. Lewis's uh, book, Mere Christianity, you know, one of the things that he observes is that God has always existed as three persons in one. Uh, it's what we call the Trinity, the doctrine of the Trinity. It's the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Um, and he says that the reason for that is because God is love. See, if God is only one person, he cannot be loved because love requires at least two people. So Christians have always said that God is not one person, but he's always existed in this community of love as three, the Father, Son, and the Spirit, perfectly loving each other, perfectly delighting in each other, perfectly respecting each other, serving each other in love. God is love, and we can see that by his triune nature. Um, you know, in the modern world, your identity, uh, I, don't, I don't know if you've heard this language of identity, like who am I, these, these big questions. Uh, your identity is determined as an individual. Have you ever thought about that? So your identity today, it's about becoming you. It's, a, it's about unlocking a kind of potential, a kind of power within you that just simply needs to be let out and set free. And then you'll become yourself. Then you'll find the abundant life. And this identity, this search for identity in our world, in our culture, it's, it's become about removing anything that's hindering you from learning to trust in you, learning to trust in that power in you. Right? You guys know what I'm talking about? And, you know, when I first became a Christian in my early uni days, you know, I, I just started going to church. I didn't really know anything about the Bible and one of the very first questions that I had was around this. One of the very first questions that I had was, you know, I'm learning to trust in God, but I look at my friends who aren't Christian, and they're learning to trust in themselves. They've got this inner drive, this inner power. And I just want to know, psychologically, are these functionally the same thing? You know, am I just calling it God? <laughs> and are they just calling it their, you know, their inner self, their inner power? It was a real question that I had. And I spoke to a friend about it. And he said, you know, that's, that's a fair question. It, it, it can seem very similar on the outside, but there's one you know, major difference. And it's this. When we say that we trust in God, that involves two people. You know, there's me and there's God. And I trust him because he loves me and I love him. But when you trust in your inner power, that only involves one person. Yeah, there's independence, but ultimately there's isolation. And there is a difference, guys. When we say that we trust in God, we're not just trusting in some fabrication, uh, some inner power that we're calling by some other name. We're, we're calling... Uh, we're trusting in the God who, who loves us, who relates to us, who speaks to us, 
is love. And the law of God is love, because God himself is love. And when we really behold this law, we see who God is, and therefore what life is really all about. It's about love. So what, is the law, uh, uh, what does the law do? The first thing that it does is it shows us who God is. But, you know, for many of us, when we hear that God is love, uh, we're not necessarily encouraged by that news. Because s- for some of you, even hearing uh, that accompanying word, law, it comes with a, a bit, bit of anxiety, right? God's expectations on how to live. And the reason for that, I think, is because of the second thing that the law does. Uh, we, we saw it before. Uh, the law shows us who we are. See, when you look at the law, you don't just see that God is love and all the things that flow from that, that, that he's generous, that he wants our good, that he's our protector, that he's faithful to us. Um, it also does a second thing where it shines almost like a mirror on us. And it shows us that we're not like that. It shows us that we're not like God. We're not loving like him. You know, something that's so good and beautiful as the law of God can also be so crushing at the same time. And here's the thing, when you honestly gaze at the law, it becomes this mirror, and you see that you're self-absorbed. You see that you're a petty person, that you're vengeful. You know, the law deeply condemns us and shows us that we fail to live up to God's standards. And, you know, although the law gives us this beautiful vision for human life, a life of love, loving God and loving each other, it actually doesn't actually give us the power to be loving, Right? doesn't change us. Um, does anyone here know what a plumb line is? A plumb line. It's okay. I didn't know what it was either before <laughs> a few days ago. But a plumb line is a piece of string and um, there's a metallic weight attached on the end of it. And what they would do, uh, and they still do to this day, um, in construction, they would hang the plumb line off a plank of wood off the top of a wall and it would hang straight down, and then you could look from the side, and you could measure whether the wall was straight. And here's the question, here's the thing, can, can a plumb line, it, it, it can tell you whether uh, a wall is straight or not, but can it actually make a wall straight? No, okay, it, it can't do that. And that's exactly what the law is like. The law shows you that you're crooked. The law shows you that you fall short of God's standard, but it doesn't ultimately give you the power to actually change, to have a new heart and and become transformed. It's really discouraging to look at the law. And so I think there's a couple of ways that we as people can respond to the law. Um, Just two ways that come to mind. Number one, uh, we can ignore it. Uh, We can ignore the law. Maybe this is you. Maybe you grew up in a religious environment and all you heard just every week was law, law, like just, you know, what God expected of you. You know, you should be dressing like this. You should be speaking in this way. You shouldn't be doing this and you should be doing that instead Sunday after Sunday, year after year. And it becomes like this crushing load. And of course, when you grow up, you get away from church and you don't want to have anything to do with the law. And that's one way we can deal with it. We can ignore it. There's a second way uh, we can change it, right? You know, we can think, you know, God loves people who keep the law. Um, but then you look into it and you're like, oh, I, I can't keep it to that extent. 
And so what do we do? We, we, we change it. Maybe we focus on a part of the law that we feel like we can do. And we place all of our significance on it. If I do that thing, I'm good with God. If I do that thing, I'm, I'm secure. If I do that thing, God will bless my life. That doesn't necessarily mean riches, but like I'm good with God if I do that thing. You know, maybe it's coming out to church, attending church. Maybe it's keeping your spiritual disciplines, right? tithing your money, or fasting. If I can do this, if I can get my life in order, then I'll be good with God. And yet here's the thing, you can do all of those things and still have a heart motivation that is ultimately self-absorbed and self-serving. So we can ignore the law, we can try to mold it into something that we can do, but ultimately you're not really any better off than if you had never heard the law of God at all. And this leads us to the second question what then is the gospel right we've answered the first what does the law do right, it shows us who god is that he's love and it shows us who we are that we're unable to keep the law second question is what then is the gospel and i just want to say one thing uh, i want to reiterate the gospel is not something that we do the gospel is something that god has done for us in jesus I remember talking to a mate uh, back in Melbourne when I used to live there. He was not interested in Christianity at all, uh, or really any religion. And we were talking about religion, and he started he started saying, you know, I think all the holy books of all the major religions in the world, they're essentially the same, right? You study the book, you read the book, and you do what it says. Then you follow God, and you become a disciple, you believe in God, and you get whatever version of the eternal reward there is. And he starts to say, you know, I, the, the Quran, the holy book of Islam, that's essentially the same as the Bible. Uh, you guys even have the same God, don't you? But I want to read for you some of the opening lines of the Quran. Listen to what it says. This is the Quran. This is the scripture in which there is no doubt, a guide for those who are mindful of God, who believe in the unseen, perform the prayers, and give from what we have provided for them, such people are following their Lord's guidance. These are the ones who will prosper. So the Quran opens with, this book is a guide for life. If you're mindful of God, if you believe in Him, if you do your prayers, and if you give what's been given to you, if you do these things, then you're one of the prosperous ones. I want to read to you the opening lines of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and there was evening and there was morning the first day. See, the Bible in Genesis, it opens with a story. You're not told to do anything. There's not one command that's directed to you. It's a story about a God who made the world, if you read through Genesis, 
the story goes on. Humanity, who he made, rebels against him. And then he makes a promise that one day there will be a savior, a person who makes everything right again for humanity. He'll crush the head of the serpent with his heel. If you remember that line from Genesis. It doesn't tell us what to do. It's, an an it's a story. It's an announcing of what God has done, what he's doing and what he will do in his world. Do you see the difference? See, Christianity is not just another religion where the gospel, where you being here and hearing me speak about these things becomes another pathway for you to put in the work. I put in the effort and you feel better about your life. The gospel is a story of what God has done, is doing, and will do by rescuing people who are hurtling towards death and then bringing them into his family. And we see the story unfold in Jesus' response to the Pharisees in the second part of our passage, uh, verses 42 to 45. So look there with me, right? So the lawyers asked him a question. Well, teacher, what's the great commandment in the law? And he's answered him. Well, it's to love God with your whole being, right? with all your heart, uh, soul, and mind. And the second uh, is just like it. Uh, love your neighbor as yourself. And now Jesus asks them a question. He says, okay, so I've answered your question. What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? And they said to him, the son of David. He said to them, how is it then that David in the spirit calls him Lord, saying, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how is he his son? It can sound a bit confusing, <laughs> but what Jesus is doing here is he's quoting Psalm 110. It's a famous messianic psalm. It's a psalm about the prophesied Savior you know, that God promises to his people in Genesis 1. Uh, and in these few statements, we learn three things about what this Messiah does. Right? First of all, he becomes a man. So the Christ is called the son of David. And that means he was born to someone. <laughs> it means he was born to Mary. Uh, he was born into a lineage. Right? You can trace his ancestry. You can actually trace it back to people, to David. He became a man, this Messiah. Number two, he became a savior. It says that this Christ is going to put his enemies under his feet. Now, do you remember that cryptic statement at the beginning of Genesis? The, the serpent's head is going to be crushed under his heel. This is that. This Christ is a savior. He's going to save his people from sin and death. He's going to do it by destroying the destroyer. And thirdly, so he became a man, he became a savior, and thirdly, he became the king, all right? Not just a king, but the king. So it says that the son of David is also David's Lord, and we need to work this out because it can get a bit confusing. How does that work? Well, simply it's this. If David's son is also his Lord, then it means that David's son existed before David. It means that this Christ is not just a human king. It means that he is the king, the king of all creation, the king of kings, that is God. And as the king of all things, as a king of kings, those he saves, he rescues from darkness and he brings them into his kingdom. It's a kingdom of light. 
And it gives them a new identity as citizens of this kingdom. So what then is the gospel? That's a question that we ask. Well, the gospel is this. Number one, you are utterly lost and you're not able to live up to the law of God. You can't do it. I can't do it. And number two, Jesus became a man and he came to us. And then Jesus became a savior and he dies to pay for our inability to keep God's law. And that saves us from the penalty of sin, which is being slaves to sin and ultimately death. And then finally, Jesus became the king. Those he saves, he doesn't just leave to fend for themselves, but he brings, he transfers them from the domain of darkness and he transfers them into the kingdom of light, his kingdom, with a new identity as citizens of his kingdom, with a new inheritance as sons and daughters of God into his household, with a new assurance that this salvation that we've just gotten is secure, it's forever. See, the gospel is not something that is commanded for you to obey. And I know that's so hard for us, predominantly as Asians, growing up in Asian households. There's so much give and take. There's so much, you know, if you do this, you'll get this. If you put in the work, that's what you get out of it. But the gospel is not something that's commanded for you to obey. That's the, that's the law. Now, we're all really familiar with that. The gospel is something that's offered to you as a free gift. So the question for us today is, you know, what message do you need to hear today? Is it the law or the gospel? And actually, it depends. If you're here today and you've heard, you know, God's word, and you see the law, and you even hear me speaking and saying, you are not able to keep God's standards. And your honest sentiment is, okay, well, I'm honestly not that bad, okay? I, I don't actually like being told that. I don't like being called a sinner. I don't really bother people. I, I stay in my own lane. I don't do anything that's too bad or too seriously wrong. You need the law of God to act as a mirror <laughs> The Lord God, which says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. And you need to realize that you have never loved God with all your heart, with all your mind, and all your soul, with your whole being. None of us have. And as a result, you and I fail to love the people around us as ourselves all the time. When's the last time you said something self-absorbed or hurtful to someone you love. God's law must act as a mirror. And God's law is given to humble the proud. The pride that takes hold of all of us. And, you know, we can respond at this point by doing, you know, those one of those two things. We can ignore the law again. Just, you know, whatever. 
We can try to mold it and change it into something that we can do. But here's a third response that I would really ask you to consider. And this is the true purpose of the law. Let the law drive you to Jesus. Realize how unable, how hopeless, how lost you are. Because you're a sinner. You're not able to keep God's law. And that's me too. And let the law drive you to Jesus. And, you know, here's where there are some of you today, and maybe the biggest feeling that you have about yourself, it's not, it's not that, you know, you're generally a pretty good person. You, you already know that you don't even come close to keeping God's law. Like, you know it so well that even me mentioning the word law, it's, it's crushing to you. And you don't need me to tell you that. And the condemnation that comes with just Christianity and the law. My question to you is, why are you carrying it? Let it drive you to Jesus. And what you'll find is that God sent his one and only son to die in your place on the cross, not because you're so lovable, but because he loves you anyway. Because he loves you despite the fact that you're not lovable. And there is an old rugged cross with a crucified, sinless Savior on it to prove that to you. you know, God loves you despite your unloveliness. And if we look at that old rugged cross, we see a Savior who not only died for us, but he died and his blood, it actually washes away all of our sins, all of our failures at keeping God's law. And that means he doesn't need you to come today uh, having tried to clean yourself up and then come to him, to be presentable in a certain way and then come to him. He receives you as a sinner, just as you are, and he wants you to grow in love. Sure, he does, he does want that, but he's not going to throw you out of the house because you failed at love. The throwing out of the house has already happened for him so that he could bring you home to God. The gospel is that God has loved you first. Know that. And therefore love him and love others. God first loved you. Wow. Despite my sin, despite all of my failures. It's so amazing. And therefore, we can love him and love others. Love is the origin and the goal of the law and the prophets. That's what Jesus says. It's the beginning and the end of why God inspired the whole Bible. And God's call to the world church this morning, I really believe, is that all of us here, we stop assuming that we fully know his love for us. I think some of us maybe might be assuming that we do, and, and some of us are just simply forgetting what his love is like. And so I would like to ask you to just remember what his love is really like. It's okay that you're forgetting that. It's okay that as a result, that maybe you're not loving him like you ought to, and you're not loving your neighbor as yourself. But remember that first love. 
radical love that did not depend on anything that you ever did to him, but he loved you simply because he loved you. And if you come and know his love, what that does, it, it actually starts to reshape your heart. And it remakes your priorities. Your heart actually begins to soften. And your heart begins to love God. Have you ever had one of those moments where you just remember, oh God, God is so good. How can I forget him now? Your heart begins to love God. And then your heart begins to soften towards other people and to your neighbor. See, to the extent that you know God's love, your heart will be filled with love for God and love for other people. And that's why, um, what can I say? <laughs> the application is really simple today. Don't forget the love of God. Meditate on the love of God in the gospel. Hear the gospel over and over and over again. Maybe it won't hit like it used to the first time. Doesn't matter. Hear it over and over again until it does. Because the law cannot change the heart. And if that's what you're here expecting it to do, it's not gonna it's not gonna work. The law cannot change the heart, but the gospel can. And then as you remember the love of God, as you know the love of God, reframe your obedience to God as as love. It's not what do I need to do for God today, but it's how can I love God today? Uh, reframe the way that you relate to others from what should I do for this person to how can I love this person today in the same way that God has loved me. When you show them and you give to them through every practical means available, what you have found for yourself in God. And that is the way that we will grow in love as a church community. And I really believe amazing things will happen. Let's pray. Father God, uh, we need to hear this from your word, and not just from my preaching, but from a spirit-empowered truth that is embedded in your word, that you have loved us first while we were sinners you loved us first. You loved us purely, powerfully, unendingly, and graciously. And I just ask that all of us here today would be able to know that. Speak to them through your word. Speak to them through your people. Speak to them through the power of your spirit. It'll change Everything. We need to know your love again. Remind us, I pray, and I ask this in Jesus' name.